The Man in the Myth is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real-time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Phoenix Suns are back home tonight against the Boston Celtics. Uh, if you want to get in the door the lowest price possible, in the best seats possible, to see the Suns take out the Celtics, go ahead and check out GameTime. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. What is up, everyone? It is November 18th, 2019. My name is Sean O'Shaughty, and this is the Man in the Myth podcast here on The Athletic, and you know Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts, and also please subscribe, rate, review for us. We appreciate you so much, and we appreciate you guys so much for joining us today. And as always, I'm joined by my guy, the myth himself. He had himself a nice little holiday weekend. He is the man in the hat, Chuck Mendenhall. What's going on, brother? You survived? Yeah, I survived. You know, they had the in-laws in town, and uh, did a little early Thanksgiving, so it was kind of laid back, but uh, I'll tell you what. The turkey that we ate and the tryptophan that we felt couldn't compare to that Sao Paulo card, could it? I'm still trying to figure out my little light on my phone, you know, so I can, I can chime in with the lights in the background and wave them <laughs> back and forth. That's kind of oh where we're at on God. that, so uh, I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. We will definitely get to that in a minute. Um, Chuck, I'm just happy to be here talking to you, man. I, I'm finally above air breathing for the first time. I've been sort of... You know how it goes when we're trying to write these long forms. I have a long form that I'm working on right now that basically my entire week last week, every Man, we from the moment I woke week. up. That's right. You were in the hell water already, and here you are still doing it, huh? I am I am deep in the middle of the hell water, wow. man. I, all last week, from wake up to go to sleep, was more or less just sitting down trying to figure out this piece. I think I wrote something like 10,000 words in a span of seven days. Ooh. Oh, my God. I'm not even this done yet. Dude, I'm, but it'll be worth it. Hopefully. We tease this thing in the worst possible way, but this thing will be worth it, I think. <laughs> I hope so. I so desperately hope so. These things are so, uh, you get so, it's such an emotional journey to write these stupid long pieces, man. Me and you have talked about it per, like oh, yeah. off air a billion times, but it's just, it's so yeah. difficult. <laughs> it's, it's, it drives you insane. <laughs> oh my just to God, get the too long week. didn't read. Too long didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> and it, don't worry, guys. It won't end up being 10,000 words. It no. edits down. The original draft is always insanely long, and then you edit it down. But, oh, my God, I'm just trying to st- keep my sanity, and that's why I'm glad to he- be here talking to you, man. Yeah. Well, so and, I'm uh, glad we could provide this break for you. <laughs> that's that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and, man, we actually had we had some breaking news come down the pipe, literally, like, right before we were about to start this show. Uh, the fun of doing a Monday show. You always got Ariel Hawani over there at ESPN breaking some news. Ben Askren, man. Let's start with this. This feels like yeah. the biggest story right now. It is time to say goodbye to Ben Askren. Uh, he announced so. today on Ariel's show that he is calling it quits. Um, I think we all saw this coming, but I mean, apparently he needs a hip replacement surgery. Uh, he said he's been having hip issues for like three to five years. I mean, Chuck, we just found this out literally minutes ago, but I guess your initial thoughts. Not surprised, right? Like, I, okay, so the hip replacement thing is kind of uh, news. I hadn't really heard him talk too much about injuries or things that are going on with his life like that um so that part's a surprise but in terms of him deciding this is the time to retire I know we touched on this a little bit after his last event um 
out there in Singapore. And I thought, you know, I felt like it was 50-50, right? Like, you're just like, I feel like he's a guy who doesn't really need the fight game. He's pretty smart. You know, he has a gym. He likes coaching. He likes doing other stuff. It's not like he needs fighting. In fact, I think he even admitted that the last time he was on Ariel's show, just saying like, you know, I don't love fighting. It's not like it's um, it's in his DNA to have to do it and like get out there and do it like some of these guys. So I wasn't too surprised, but uh, you kind of hear about the wear and tear, you know, from a, a lifelong, you know, spent competing, basically wrestling his whole time in his youth and then going into MMA uh, for the last 10 years or whatever it is. It's a long toll, man. And um, fortunately for him, he's still a young man. It's a very young man to get a hip replacement. But like, fortunately for him, he's got a, a full life ahead of him. And I, I think if that's really going on, it's probably the right time. He's only 35. Yeah. yeah 35 years old getting a hip replacement, man. That's rough. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it, and it tells you, too, like he, he has wrestled at the highest caliber, um, you know, for so long, and then to go directly into MMA, I mean, you, you realize the tolls it takes, you know? It, not not everybody comes out of it unscathed. It's fascinating now that, I guess, this is the end of the road, because we've already had an end of the road once with Ben Askren, but it was a lot different, and it felt a lot different. It was a lot of, it was a lot of, it was mysterious. It was a lot yeah. of questions that when he left the first time in one championship, and he retired in the middle of his one championship run, we were just left with more questions than answers. I think... Now we feel like we have those answers to some degree, but it's almost it almost feels unfair, right? Like we've talked about this, but Ben Askren got in the UFC so long past his apex. Like yeah. the Ben Askren we saw in the UFC was not the best version of Ben Askren, and I'm not making excuses for him because I don't. It's not it doesn't matter to me what how he did it. It's just kind of the reality of the situation. Like if he would have gotten in right after his Bellator run when he was out there demolishing Andre Koreshkov and Douglas Lima in like 2013 range. I think we would have been talking about him and he in a different way and he, the way it would have worked out would have been a lot different but instead we got sort of this post one championship post retirement mm-hmm. post like very much a Ben Askren that um I don't want to say he got I don't know I don't want to say the wrong word but maybe a Ben Askren that wasn't putting it all his all into it right maybe sure. that his, his, all of his efforts weren't going towards it like you said he's a busy man yeah. um uh, it's interesting to me now to think about it though because you look at what he did this past year. 2019 felt like it was going to be the year of Ben Askren. Uh, he he undoubtedly got paid good money this year. Three fights. All of them big to some degree. The mile one was probably the smallest one, and that was a main event. Um, he got a massive boost in popularity and just name recognition. I mean, he was a decade deep into this game and never, ever was more popular than he was from that range, from like early February, from right before the Robbie Lawler fight until mm-hmm. Ju- July fifth, like right until the day before the Masvidal fight, like whatever those <laughs> sure. that stretch was, Ben Askren was one of the hottest things going in MMA, just in terms of you know popularity and the way people talked about him and the interest in him. Yeah. Um, now he doesn't have to ever be in that best fighter to never be in the UFC conversation. I wonder though, do you do you think it was worth it to him? Like if he was being honest to you. And knew then what he knew now, how this was going to play out. Do you feel like he makes that same decision and comes to the UFC, or would it have been better for him to end his career being sort of that mystery guy that we always wondered about? Oof, that's a good question, man. I think ultimately, see, now you're kind of talking like a big picture, small picture type thing. I think in the big picture, you know. <laughs> He might have been better off staying, you know what I mean, and kind of just letting that that doubt linger. Then again, man, it's really weird because 
would you would you talk about Ben Askren at some point? Like you know how the sport goes that at some point things start to happen uh, ten years down the line. I don't even know who's talking about Ben Askren um, if he doesn't go in the UFC. You know what I mean? Would I'm he sure. would he have just been one of those guys who gets kind of like lost to the pages of, of a history? Like there's a you could go through Strike Force and and Pride yeah. and name a bunch of different guys who maybe never got their shot and we don't they don't get mentioned anymore. I always felt like Ben had a little bit more going on. I think it's because he's been so vocal and he's been so kind of, um, you know, provocative on social media and everything else. I think that he kind of had more of a glaring um, self. Like, we wanted to see what he would do. And I think also, like, him being, what was it, 19-0 and or 18-0 and coming over um, to the yeah, UFC. 19. Like, there were, there were legitimate ideas that maybe he is that good. I know that some some people in retrospect would be like, no, I, don't, I never thought that. I never thought that. Okay, that's fine. But I think there was just <laughs> enough curiosity, and that's one of the reasons he really crossed over well was there was just enough curiosity. Maybe he is that good. Like when he was going against Robbie Lawler, there was a it was a very hard challenge, right? We're sitting there thinking like Robbie Lawler, this is no joke, dude. Like he's going against this guy. But there was and still it felt a part like of you a that, massive fight. Right? It felt yeah. like a very consequential fight. And I mean, but there was still a part of you that was like, he may just go in there and take Robbie Lawler down. And we know Robbie Lawler is very good at you know defensive wrestling and things like that. But he may be able to do that. He may be just go in there and just kind of do the same thing he always does to these guys to Robbie Lawler. Like there was a thought that that could happen. Um, we saw how the fight played out, and I feel like his whole career was just—I mean, not his whole career, his whole UFC career. Um, kind of mirrored that, you know, that whole thing. It was up and down and boom, boom, one thing's going, now this is going, and all of a sudden Masvidal escapes as the star through this, you know, process and everything else. Like, it's just a weird situation. I think if you looked at a small picture, though, like in terms of uh, Ben Askren, I'm pretty sure he made, if he didn't make seven figures through this whole thing, like, you know what I mean? He he probably had to get pretty close. You know what I mean? And I I think for a guy who lives in the Midwest and lives fairly within his means, he's not a very extravagant guy. I think in the short term, he's probably uh, not regretting his decision to go to the UFC right now. He feels to me like someone who would rather have gotten the answer, even if that answer wasn't what he was hoping for, than sort of lived with that question. Yeah. I think so, too. If that sounds right. You know him better than me, but that's sort of my perspective from the outside. He's He's a very realistic guy, right? Like, so... When we talk about guys who are down to earth, and I, like if me, if me and you are just sitting around talking and you're just having a down to earth conversation, there's not a lot of extravagance because we haven't done anything nuts. He he actually talks like that. That's who he is. It doesn't matter if he's a champion or what he's doing. He's just kind of the same guy. Um, I think that he's just such he's such a realist and stuff like that. He can actually like kind of remove, you know, the uh, the glitz and glamour or whatever you want to call it that side of the sport where there's the money and the cameras and all that, and just kind of think of it as a competitor, as just a normal person. And, um, yeah, I think he can basically look at his career the way the rest of us do, essentially. What's your favorite Ben Askren memory before we move on? There's a lot of them. Man, let me think about that. If you got one, go ahead. Let yeah. me think. Sure, I'll, I'll jump in. For me, it was the end of his Bellator run. It was okay. sort of those last two, three fights. I'll, I'll say two, because the Douglas Lima fight was a mauling, but that was also... Around that time, in 2012, the way we thought of Ben Askren, the conversation around him was, what does he actually do? He just wrestles. He doesn't He doesn't put any damage upon people. He isn't hurting True. people. He's just kind of wrestling people and be, beating their position for 25 minutes or however long the fight is. But then those last two, that Carl Amasu fight, when he just absolutely demolished Carl Amasu to the point where it was very much like a Habib Nurmagomedov in 2019 type of fight. Or, or even like a Habib Nurmagomedov versus 
Michael Johnson or, or, or Edson Barboza in that you just see someone break in yeah. a very anguished state in front of you. Like the Carl Amasu fight, to watch Carl Amasu just slowly break before they just finally stop the fight between rounds yeah. was yeah. just unreal. And that was when I you sort of began to think like, oh man, Ben Askren's like very good at this. This yeah. is it, like a, him versus George St. Pierre became started to become yeah. a conversation of just it like did, how well, how would that fight go? GSP's best strat aspect is the wrestling. Obviously, he's great everywhere else. He has the jab and all that, but that just those two wrestling powerhouses that was a, uh, a compelling thing. And then the Andre Koreshkov one, that was when he really became the guy. That was when he became one of the biggest question marks in the entire welterweight division. When he's out there just riding Andre Koreshkov, who is a very very good fighter. Riding him like a pony and waving around, doing like a cowboy America thing. Like <laughs> he was diving so deep into just being this sort of wrestling heel. Uh, that I know you don't enjoy what I'm doing, but you're gonna watch and and you're gonna hate every second of it, type of thing. He was such a compelling figure. I loved that era of Ben Askren. Whatever that 2012, 2013 Ben Askren was, I really wish we would have gotten this chance to see him in the UFC. But that's probably my favorite memory, and that's, I think, the way I'm going to always remember Ben Askren is just sort of that guy in Bellator who was yeah. just de- demoralizing people so, so badly. And just being kind of a dick during the whole thing, right? Like, he was like, <laughs> he was like, he was just this cocksure, like, you know, mop-headed dude. Like, he was just, he, he was always rubbing uh, Dana White the wrong way, and he was, you know, he's, he's just, he's that guy, right? He was almost like an antagonist to the sport at the moment. Um, and if I recall, man, it was something like, I don't, I can't find the exact number, but it was something like 250 to one. He out, he outstruck Koroshkov in that. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was like one of the most lopsided things, um, I'd ever seen, you know, in terms of strike differential. But, um, you know, man, if I'm thinking about it, I guess it would be in that era too, to be honest. I, I loved, loved, loved when the partition was down and you could see him at the UFC events at UFC 235 in March, you know, and, uh. All of that was so cool to, to know he's going to be fighting Robbie Lawler, this fight that would never happen otherwise, uh, you know, with the UFC banner, seeing how he interacted with Dana White. Remember, that was a big deal that week. Um, we weren't sure if they would be cold to each other or what, and it actually played out kind of theatrically the, the whole week. But uh, I think I would go back to that era, too, because I remember going and uh, doing a cover story for Fight Magazine on him out in Milwaukee at that time, and... It was just his attitude, man. Like, he just was like, I'm not, like, this was at a time, you're talking about, uh, like, summer 2013, maybe into the the late 2013. People still really were UFC-centric, and people still really danced to whatever the UFC said. You know what I mean? And he wasn't doing it. I just remember him just being like, no, man, screw screw Dana White. He would just say it. Like, he didn't say, like, hey, this is off record or whatever. He was just telling you like it is, like he thought. Yeah. And, um... I thought, like, going into his kind of free agency or whatever he's going to do there, it was clear it was that he probably detriment. wasn't heading to like, UFC. And I remember yeah, just thinking, like, this is really cool. It was completely to his cool. detriment. Yeah. It was completely to his detriment. <laughs> like, he should have no. probably... You think so? If he I think if he would have played the game and not done that, he would have gotten in the UFC and they would have given him a shot. But I think at that point it becomes the thing Dana White's going to put his yeah, heels in. Yeah, but that's, that's the gonna... whole point. He didn't want to play the game. And actually, that was the... the, the he made a lot more money the route he took, you know? So it kind That's of depends. True. I remember writing this piece. It's like it almost kind of broke, in, broke into a situation where you're like, did he just show a new way to handle yourself in the fight game? Maybe it's not about sometimes going to the UFC and trying to uh, go up against this. Maybe it is about, you know, like the prize fighting aspect and doing what's best for your career. Um, if you put yourself in these positions and, you, you know, you, you examine it a little differently. Um, and I felt like he kind of opened that conversation. 
I would love to know, honestly, if he's in a completely honest, maybe a couple years down the line, if he regrets going to one championship at the time or if you would have. I mean, this, the, the conversation we're having, I think, will be fascinating with Ben Askren in, in another year or two. Right. I mean, yeah. I, just, I would love to I know. Absolutely. And that's a great point, too, that he I mean, he made way more money in one championship than he would have made in the UFC, probably unless yeah. he would have become champion or something like that. But otherwise, he made pretty crazy money over there at one championship. And hey, good yeah, for you, man. Now, ultimately, that's the point, right? It is, and it's like, how do you prioritize it? Do you prioritize, you know, the the glory of kind of the UFC and like all of the kind of criticisms of not fighting in the sea? Do you, and and then you balance that out with like, I remember him saying like a big factor was he just wanted to go travel Asia, (laughs) you know, simple as that. Like, so he got that wish too, right? Like, you got to go out there and travel and kind of be an adventurer during that time, and uh, and he made a lot of money. So I feel like. I just I I think in a couple of years it will know better, but ultimately I think he handled his career the way he thought best, and I don't think he has many regrets about that. I agree with you a hundred percent. And last two very very quick things, I think the symmetry of his career ending in the juxtaposition of his career ending in Singapore yeah. is so strange to me. That is weird because how often does the UFC actually go to Singapore? And the fact that he actually ended his career in Singapore, where what what I mean by this is one championship is based in Singapore and Ben fought a bunch of fights in Singapore for one championship. For that to end that way, that's so strange. It's just the the fight gods really work in weird ways. Also, one other thing. I think Dana White and the UFC brass, like a lot of I'm already seeing this on Twitter of people being like, Whoa, you really lost the DJ trade. Like, I think they would make that trade trade a thousand times out of a thousand. Yeah. They didn't want DJ. They Great. got rid of DJ. They had already threatened to get rid of DJ a bunch of different times. They and so they did all of that. Made Jorge Masvidal star in just through the process of it. Yeah. And they quieted one of their loudest critics and shoved some dirt onto his legacy on the way out. Like, that worked out <laughs> magically And they for reinvented them. the flyweight division by doing that. Yeah. You know? It's crazy. They, may, they make that decision a hundred times over again. Yeah, um, I agree. Well, man, congratulations, Ben Askren, on a tremendous career. Uh, I Like you said, I'll be interested to hear from him a couple years from now and see, hear sort of how he thinks about all of this. Um, it's a very fascinating, compelling character for the fight game and very unique. We don't get a lot of unique guys, and he was one. he's very much one of a kind. Uh, yeah. But we're going to move on, and let's dive into this card from That's Saturday Night, Chuck. Yeah. Oh, God, Jan Blackowitz versus Jacare Souza. Uh, this one, he spells that? his name Jan, like the traditional Jan. <laughs> That's that's a Mendenhall classic right there. You can steal that. <laughs> that was that was sensational. <laughs> I I don't even know what to say. I'm in awe of you. Uh, all uh, right, proceed. Was that the worst card of the year or just worth the worst fight of the year? Ooh. You know, uh <laughs> that's, a, that's tough. I was starting to like glance backwards and see if there was one that stood out. I know there was a couple of there've been a couple of bad cards. But I got to say, when your co-main and your main play out like that, it feels like the worst card of the year in real time. Like you're watching it and you're like, what am I doing with this Saturday night? You know, why am I watching this? I, I'm not even kidding when I say I nodded off a couple times. Like, Oh yeah. You, you start daydreaming about, so you're not even paying attention to the details anymore because the details have just lost meaning. Like it just kind of goes into this very strange part of, um, you know, it just, it enters some kind of strange realm where you're just like, I, I just don't even care anymore. <laughs> and I think that that, when that happens, when that happens, man, it's like the worst thing that can happen to a fight. You should always care on some level. But I felt like both fights kind of slipped into that terrain. But the main event coming, you know, after uh, Ahua and Craig, and it just uh, the way it played out, man. I just it was it was it was a very forgettable 
Um, a very forgettable night in the end, I think. I, I would, you know, I would be lying if I said I enjoyed much of that. <laughs> you? <laughs> uh, I think it was funny to for our Slack room in the middle for the athletic MMA Slack room yeah. during this card. Poor Fernanda was at this event, and I can't even imagine how bored she must have been at this event. It seemed like the fans were not enjoying themselves other than waving their phones around. I That felt to me like the absolute worst of the FS1 era. Of, yes. of, of just shuttling through these really terrible cards, but also the tape, the pacing on it is just atrocious. Like, I feel like ESPN Plus has been able to streamline some of these issues, maybe fix the pacing a bit, and, and some of the cards at least have more meaningful fights. But that was just... That was rough. I agree. That was really rough. And I don't know like that we need to... Per- perfunctory, right? Like, it's just they just plug in a card in because they need a market to fill, and they got a night to fill, they got an obligation. You know what I mean? It felt like that. Like, they were just doing it out of the sense of schedule and duty. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on this, so I'll just kind of breeze through this main event. But do you feel like that was the last time we will see Jacare Souza in a meaningful fight? Oh... As a crazy, yeah, it might be, man. It might be. Might be I, I think right. if, it might be. It was kind of up to him, I thought, to go in there and make it exciting, right? Like, because it was his, it's in Brazil. It's his debut at that weight class. He's fighting a guy who we know has some power. He can knock you out. But, like, we know what Jacare can do, too. And it just seemed like he didn't have that gear. I know he was trying to get, he didn't you know, he was trying gear. to get Jan on the, on the canvas, but, and it would just tie up on the fence for these long stretches of time. Um, but it's just, you think that, he, you know, somewhere along there, somewhere along there, I think I saw your recap or, where you're like, you know, there wasn't a meaningful exchange until mid-fourth. You'd think yeah. that that would come earlier, man. You'd think he would go, you know, he'd want to kind of put on a show in that spot. And because because of this, like, and I hate the go out on your shield thing, but you want to go out on something. If, if this is really what you're up against, like possibly not fighting in big-time relevant fights anymore, you want to you wanna show something more. So I, I was waiting for that moment from Jacare. It just never really came. Well, well, I I had said it on Wednesday that I think there might be a chance that this could go one of two ways, right? Like the the difference in outcomes was either maybe this is this exact conversation we're having, or yeah. like maybe you're fighting John Jones next. Like that that felt to me like that was up for grabs. If Jacare is a big enough name with enough of a legacy that if he went out there and subbed Jan Blackowitz in the first round, we would be talking about him potentially going against yeah. John Jones. Instead, and he might have jumped in like we talked about. Imagine if he did that, because I think that he could have literally, with his name, jumped in, right? Because I think John Jones would have then maybe said like, "Hey, yeah, why not?" You know, yeah. And then you got a like bi- a whole that's a rooting section fight. for that. So yeah, that's possible. Instead, we get this weird, weird, baffling performance where the fourth and the fifth round, he landed one significant strike each round. Ah, god, that's it. In all five rounds, he didn't land. Double-digit significant strikes. It was nine or less. Yep. What, what what can you make of that, right? Like, I think <laughs> it feels like this is the end of the road for him. That's what we've seen from guys like Rashad Evans or others. You just get you get to that point, you get gun-shy. And it just seems like he's yeah. gun-shy now. Yeah. And it's funny because he hasn't been, like, knocked out, you know, like, other than what was uh, Robert Whitaker was the one who yeah, knocked Whitaker him out. Yeah, Whitaker got him. but Yeah. But, I mean, Other he hasn't that, been, like, knocked out a ton. And I, I guess I didn't really feel like he'd be gun-shy. I didn't really anticipate that. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it's surprising in the in the, in the the worst kind of way. And just given that he's <laughs> almost 40 years old and yeah. all of that, you know, like, I just – he may end up in another another fight that, uh, 
you know, a, 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 I don't, I don't even know who they'd put him against. To be completely honest, man, but like he may end, end up in another fight that um, has some kind of prestige around it. But I, I feel like personally that was probably the end of the road for relevant big fights. You know what I mean? I, I don't think he's going to be plugged into a big event again like that. Yeah, I mean, he might get like Glover to share a Misha Shurkinov or something like that next. Yeah, but. I could see, yeah, I could see something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me why. Jan Blackowitz versus Corey Anderson for the number one contender on the same card of Jones versus Reyes. Tell me why that doesn't make sense. Or does it make perfect sense? Because to me, it feels like that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I'm just sitting, I was kind of going through that, but I, I think that that would make great sense, right? I mean, none of these matchups are sexy. I think that that's the problem. But at <laughs> the same time, I, I feel like, you know, Jan Blackowitz some... in that way. Yeah. That man is the definition of sexy. Well, right. I mean, Chuck, you bring up the point. That's right. I mean, here's the thing. It does make sense to put those guys as a number one contender fight. But is it really are we all clamoring for one more fight to truly see whether Jan or Corey deserve the shot? Like they either do or they don't kind of at this point. I don't think we need to see. No, because no, because it's Dominic. Dominic Reyes is the guy like Dominic. they've, They've basically given it to Dominic Reyes. So then you just need to set up some level of what's next right yeah for sure but that's what i mean but like we already have seen it like you you could pick right now between the two of them whether Corey anderson or jan deserves it like the two of them is not going to be a a, that's not a barn burner of a fight either that's what you're saying i mean if they want it to be tidy you know and these guys want to get paid and they want to wait like six months i'd be totally fine with that but i the problem is i feel like there's not a lot of excitement to the the current situation if that's going on but then there would not be a lot of excitement to the future of the division either because you're, you know, I'm not sure anybody's clamoring for any of those three names. That's the problem. None of these guys have, like, that distinguished the themselves in such a way that you're like, oh, man, that guy, he might be the one to knock out, you know, to take out John Jones. And I know that's very difficult to do, but um, it's it's weird. I feel like all, all challenges right now for Jones are sort of pedestrian of these guys because none of them, you know, kind of pulled away in the end. That, I felt like that was Jan's moment to maybe do that. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. uh, he wasn't able to. What's funny, too, is that, Jan Blackowitz and Corey Anderson have fought before, and it was four years ago. And I would challenge anybody else in this podcast, Chuck, Chris, yep. anybody, to tell me one meaningful thing that happened in that fight. I didn't even know. I couldn't even remember they fought. <laughs> yeah, until you just said it, I didn't. I didn't know that <laughs> and there we go. Also, by the way, the main event of that card was Demetrius Johnson versus John Dodson. Ah, here so we go. go. Full circle. Back <laughs> Full to Demetrius. Circle. I will say before we move on that between Jan Blackowitz telling our own Fernando Pratchett that he, she asked him what he used to do for a job and he couldn't remember the English word for plumber. And so he said, whatever it is that Mario and Luigi do. That's right. I, I will say that. between that and then his response to Derek Brunson, thanking him for helping us put him put to their kids to sleep with how boring that fight was. The response to that was excellent. Jan Blackowitz might've just put on the fight of the year and still become one of my guys. Just saying. He's one of your dudes. I like it, man. No, he seems like I, a cool guy, right? Like, I think everything about him is cool. I just didn't. I, I, I don't know. He's so far he hasn't done it in the cage. I just want to see him have that moment where you're like, all right, now we now he's compelling. But so far that Rockhold, hasn't happened. Luke Rockhold was kind of that, but I get I get what kind you're saying. Of. Also, also, I feel like I might have accidentally just said the fight of the year. I, I very much meant to say worst fight of the year. Okay, um, I don't know if I said that, but just clarifying that. So it, it, it sounded sarcastic. It's okay. Yeah, it sounded sarcastic, <laughs> or that you're drunk. Either way. Well, you know, it is twelve forty-two over here on the West Coast. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get into my, into my sauce uh, a little bit before I start riding again. Um, well, man, we're gonna move on, and now, now a fight that I'm actually really excited to talk about. 
because this to me was the low and bright spot of the entire main card. And I have a lot to say here, but I'll first I'll cede the floor to you. Did Chuck, <laughs> did Charles Oliveira win the weekend for you? I thought you were going to mention Shogun there, and I was like, whoa, I can't believe you're setting it up like that. <laughs> yeah, Charles Charles Oliveira was actually kind of the same. Like, when you mentioned, is it the worst card, I was kind of thumbed through, and I was like, you know, but Char- the, the, the Oliveira moment was cool, right? Like, I thought that was a good... The fact that he got a second knockout of the, you know, his second knockout when this guy leads the the UFC in submissions and he shows his hands like that on the nice little counter right and then that uppercut, that was a thing of beauty, man. And it's you've gorgeous. been mentioning this the whole time. Like, this is a guy that people keep sleeping on and all this. So I, I, you kind of got me more involved in like, okay, let's pay attention to Charles Oliveira on the, on the level of contenders and things like that. And so you see him do that and I'm like, I'm sold. So I felt like he he came he came fluent uh through in flying colors, you know, like he, he really showed to me, even though the, you know, I'm not going to say Jared Gordon is a world beater. He's got an interesting story and all that, but he's not a guy that, uh, will launch you into a title fight or anything, but he like, you want to see him now launched into what, like a top 10 guy. I'd love to see that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to see something so, like that. So, you know, me, Chuck, I like to support the underdog. I'm, I'm one of the only people in the MMA media who I, I like to pick up weird people and just fought, like really push them because I don't feel like they're getting pushed. You that like type a of foster thing. Foster home for for brands. I like it. Yeah, fighter brands. I like, to su- like I want this guy and this guy. <laughs> I like to support the lunch pail workers. There you go. I like to support the guys who win and win and win and can't seem to get what they deserve. I was one of the first Luke. in the MMA. Me- there we go. I was one of the yeah. first in the MMA media to go all in on the Tony Ferguson bandwagon. I've been driving That's that true. train. For like three or four years at this point. That is, I, that's I was, absolutely true. You really were, man. I, I'm telling you. I was the, the first person in the MMA media to go all in on Vicente Luque. Uh, again, I drive these bandwagons. And Chuck, after what we just saw on Saturday night from Charles Oliveira, I think it is time for me to take up the cause of this man. Let me okay. read you a few stats, okay? All right. At age 30. Age 30! <laughs> this is Charles Oliveira's UFC resume. UFC. The UFC's all-time submissions leader. I'm just, everyone knows that. 13 submissions. 16 total UFC wins, 15 of which were by stoppage. Jeremy Stevens, the only man to lose and still manage to see the judges' scorecards with this guy. Yeah. His knockout of Jared Gordon capped off perfect 3-0 year. All three stoppages, of course. He's now 7-1 with seven stoppages at lightweight. Of those seven, I would say that at least five are what you would call a high-quality win. Will Brooks, Clay Guida, Jim Miller, David Taymor, Nick Lentz. And then you could argue about Jared Gordon. Um, I, I, I don't think – I forget the other guy. It was like Christian Gygos or, or something like that. Yeah. I don't think you need to argue about that one. Uh, extended his current streak of stoppage wins to six straight, which is the best currently in the UFC going, and only two away from Tyan Anderson Silva's all-time record of eight. Also, this win pushed Charles Oliveira within a hair's breadth of time. Donald Cerrone's all-time mark for UFC wow. finishes outright – 15 stoppages just below Cerrone's 16. This man is 30. 30. <laughs> you know who's not 30, Chuck? A lot of Oops. UFC fighters who we consider very young. Yeah. Greg Hardy, 31. Gregor Gillespie, 32. Even producer Chris's boy, Yarzino yeah. Rosenstrike, yeah. Uh-huh. 30, 31. 31. I could That's go on. Hey, man, I could go on, but I won't. How is it that this man has done this for so long without having someone to champion him? In the MMA media, no longer Charles Oliveira. You're one of my guys now. I got you back. Yeah, I think that's fair. And everything you said is pretty astonishing. And I think it's very quiet because he had to override almost the stigma, right? Like, because he was a guy. I was it three or four times he missed weight as a featherweight. 
a ton of times, right? It, it was so, several, yeah. So I know he missed it several times to the point where he became a fighter that you put the asterisk on, and I think that that stigma kind of stayed with him even as he made his, uh, you know, his his move up to lightweight. But since he lost, you know, that 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 fight at UFC 218 to Paul Felder, he has been on the ridiculous run. It's been very quiet because I think that we put him in a place where it was very difficult to hear his screams. You know, it's like <laughs> you couldn't hear him anymore. Um, but after once all you, of this, once you've been put in a spot by yeah. the community it's very it's so hard tough. to break out of that we've i can't give you the example but we were talking about a guy just like this recently and i don't remember which guy there was a guy who came up again um who's been around forever right there under our noses but then all of a sudden you're like wait this guy's on a crazy tear which i don't anyway i feel like he is in this place now where you're just like how, how does this happen but i think that that's really it i think it's just people haven't given him the love um probably that he deserves he's a quiet guy he's not gonna like you know he's he's had his moments so where he gets very testy you know in uh in, in the lead up to fights and all that stuff but he's a he's not like he's not like your type of guy who's gonna kill you with charisma and, and want the microphone and all that so combined with this kind of like weight issues and all that I feel like he was able to do something that is almost impossible to do which is stay relatively quiet when you go on this like crazy streak of you know knockouts and submissions so I wouldn't want to fight him if I it's the worst kind of matchup, right? If he's not getting the love from the UFC and the fans, if you know that he may beat you if you're a contender. Yeah. It's like the worst kind of matchup because you're not getting the recognition, you're not you know what I mean? You're not getting the big fight glow, all that stuff. So I think it's up to the UFC to start selling him more too. You know, I think that they've got to start promoting him like he's a true contender at this point. I think strangely enough, being on this terrible, terrible card kind of helped him out. Yeah. Because if, he, there. if he's just having that exact same performance on an average card, just an average fight night, I don't know that we it's standing out nearly as much as a, a great performance on a just atrocious fight night where yeah. he's basically the only person worth talking about, that sort of thing. And you know what I else agree, I man. love? You know what else I love? He didn't say one effing word about featherweight. It has taken close to three years, but Charles Oliveira finally <laughs> seems to have accepted that lightweight is his best division. Or maybe he even hasn't, and he's just sick of talking about it. Either way, I'm all the way here for it. I want to see what kind of wrench this dude dedicated. I want to see what kind of wrench a dedicated to 155 Charles Oliveira could throw into this lightweight division. Because you know something else? He brings a different element to this division. An element that I didn't realize was missing until I really sat down and thought about it. But it kind of is like who who is the crazy high level submissions guy with just a wildly fun style at 155? There isn't anyone, right? There's most divisions you have that guy. You had a Jacare, you had a Verdum, a Ryan Hall, a Damian Maya. You have these types of guys in a lot of divisions, That's and they're always point. just really fun, right? Like they're really fun to ponder, especially when they get thrown into those higher levels because it's just such a different type of style that we're not really it seeing is. that often. And here he is flashing his hands. Too. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's such a deadly addition. If he's able to do that, of course, I don't think he's falling in love. He he was going for the submission early in this fight. It only lasted ninety seconds. He he was going for the submission early. Um, but he you know obviously like he 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 that that counter was perfect. He just got out of the way, landed the counter, and then that short uppercut. I'm like, this guy knows how to use his hands. Like he's he's improved vastly in that area. So that just yeah. adds a whole other dimension there. Last thing on this, he called out Paul Felder and Conor McGregor. I appreciate the, the effort. <laughs> I, I don't think either of those is happening, and one of those is definitely not happening. The um, Felder one. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say you don't think we get the Felder fight. <laughs> I will say I think I think Paul deserves a bigger name. 
because yeah. you beat Ensign Barboza, you know, you're on the run like he is. I would give Paul a bigger name, but I could see something like, and you guys tell me what you think about this. Maybe like for Charles Oliveira, like an ally Quinta, or even an Edson Barboza, something like that. I'd be okay with either one of those because uh, they're huge. You know, that's a pretty that's a pretty sizable upgrade from Gordon, right? Like I think it, you you get a guy like that, it's, it suddenly becomes um, kind of undeniable if he's able to do that to one of those guys. What about a guy? I, I some of these guys. See, this is the problem. Like I was thinking, like I was looking at the rankings earlier. I was like, who would be an next for a guy like that? And Kevin Lee, right? You see a guy like that. But here's the problem. I don't think Kevin Lee would want to fight him. Well, so here's the thing. I thought about Kevin Lee too, but it seems like he really wants Makachev. Yeah, yeah. Why don't so you the, think Kevin Lee would fight him? Well, I mean, I don't want to say punching down because, it, but it would be in the rankings. It would be in the rankings like you're kind of like you're getting a guy that's not above you. I feel like a lot of these guys, especially, I mean, you know, Kevin's kind of like outspoken. I just don't know if he'd want to have to go below him at this point. I feel point, like but, he, that's what he wants to do right now. Like yeah? that's kind of what he says he wants to do is just sort of like I'll take anybody. Who's the hardest guy who's who's? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll that fight him. would be interesting, man, if they, if they were to put that one together. But I, I would settle for, I, you know. Any of those names, Edson Barboza, that would be a crazy fight with Oliveira, right? I mean, that would be crazy to me. Yeah, Bar- Barboza Oliveira makes perfect sense, but I actually would actually prefer to see the Kevin Lee Oliveira fight. I mean, that yeah. would be a great fight, but right, I mean, uh, Lee has been calling out Islam Makachev for you know. It'd be interesting out. for Kevin Lee because he just fought a guy and uh, and 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 Gregor Gillespie who uh, has was on a, a run of his own, right? And then all of a sudden you're putting him against Charles, uh, Oliveira, who's on a, a hot streak. It'd be like his way to shut down two of the craziest streaks going right now so yep. um i don't know yeah. that would be a fun one too yeah i i think there are a ton of options for him and i i just i was blo- i'm maybe not blown away by charles Oliver, but i was very much impressed and I, I he's one of my guys now i'm just throwing that yeah. out there into the world i like it uh, all right we got that marked down <laughs> just getting on there all right man let's move on and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this one but chuck we almost did it again uh we really almost did it again the man in the myth stink is a powerful powerful force man and we really, really need to be careful with who we put this yeah. on and how we do it, because I am so sorry, Shogun. Uh, we <laughs> this we did this to you. I you blame a man's legacy. To- I blame all of this on us, mostly you, Chuck. I blame yeah. you. I'll take my share of that. I'll take my share of the blame. <laughs> I now know what kind of power I'm holding in both hands. You know what I mean? Um, karmically, at least, or whatever it is. Like I, I whoever we talk about puts up a dud so if we mention you on the show look out man we if we guarantee that you're going to have a good fight look out there's no way shogun who is going to get outstruck by paul craig chuck there's no way um i'm not making any more bold proclamations man i'll tell you that much (laughs) uh so i guess the only thing on this shogun who versus paul craig too are you in on that uh that's my god your excitement yeah, that's your answer. You I'm all the way in on this, baby. See, I, I'm why so do you have in that kind it? of enthusiasm for it? Let's hear this. I want to hear this. So I have a great reason why. All right. Okay. So we talked about what would be a perfect end for Shogun's UFC run because I mean this guy now has one fight left on his contract. I think I now want to revise because I had asked you last week what would be a perfect end, way to end it. I'm going to revise that after seeing what we saw on Saturday. Okay. What would be a graceful way for to end it? And this is the answer. The answer is right in front of us. I just don't want to see this man get hit really hard in the face anymore. 
Shogun Hua is someone who, who means a lot to me uh, just over the course of my life of like what he had meant when I was younger and a fan. I loved him. So even if Paul Craig was piecing him up on the feet, which was definitely a thing that was very much happening, and sorry again for that, Shogun, that was very much our fault. Uh, <laughs> I will take Paul Craig doing that 100 times out of 100 over a guy like a Johnny Walker or an Anthony Smith or whoever yeah. doing the same exact thing to Shogun, but much more destructively. So yes, please, give me that Shogun, Paul Craig rematch that nobody really cares about. I'll take that right now. I guess, look that like that. Like the fact, that if you just accept that nobody cares about it, and that's okay. Yeah. Like that's oh, yeah. then okay. Let's do it. Like I would be okay. Like there's not you're not going to name a better opponent in terms of what you're talking about of preservation and kind of getting out of the game gracefully and all that. So if that's really what we're trying to get, then I'm like yes for sure. Yeah. In some Last ways, maybe it- that is a silver lining because we were talking about if Hua were to win that fight, right? Like let's say he went in there and and, and knocked Craig out. That would be five out of six, and I don't know to what level Hua would be contemplating. Like hey, you know I should be fighting up against a, a behemoth again you know what i mean so some maybe in some ways this is a silver lining for him is like for his longevity you know what i mean for kind of um for when he gets old maybe there it's better go. for him to kind of go out like that look at that i got you on my side yeah i mean I I, you. you have to rem- it's funny because you do this this is what we do in a fight game you kind of bemoan like uh like somebody's health or whatever like i don't know man this guy's been through a lot of wars but then they don't you know the the fight doesn't go the way you expect and then you kind of lose your bearings and you start to go, you know you're all of a sudden like i don't want to see that fight but when you, you you just grounded it for me and, and brought it back to the original thing so i'm like i can kind of I, I think i could live with that yeah last fight of shogun's deal hopefully he doesn't leave unconscious flat on the mat and then, either way it goes, retire or, or ride off into that Bellator senior circuit and fight the Fedors and the Titos and the Chaos <laughs> like of the world. I like how you still have them going on, though. It's like, you mean, know, there's no retirement. There's like, just the Bellator senior circuit. Well, that's kind of, the, that's the process, right? It's a two-stage yes. process. You get you get done with the first stage, then you go to the second <laughs> stage. And that's the Bellator circuit. Fight uh, the fight Fedor, maybe fight a fat Rampage, yeah. uh, Chael, whoever, until you've had your fill. And then you're kind of done. Yeah, he's never he's not going to retire. You're absolutely right. He'll just stop fighting in the UFC, but he's definitely going to have another fight afterward. I yeah. ask you guys something. Charles Oliveira has become and I know this is like kind of I meant to bring this up when we were talking about it. But Are you about to say Charles Oliveira versus Shogun cuz yes. No. No, I'm not going to say <laughs> oh, that. That would be mind. bold. I don't never say mind. bold <laughs> proclamation. I told you like he he takes out his mouth guard. I don't know if you watched his celebration and he I I'm like, "No, don't do it cuz you know what he's going to do." And he flings it into the crowd. Oh, Would either yeah. one of you guys want to catch that mouthpiece? I don't understand this this trend of these guys to throw their mouth their mouth guard into the into the stands. I love I love that you asked that question because as he was doing it in my head, I pick I tried to picture somebody being like Ooh, and trying to grab it, and it I've wouldn't it, it wouldn't be times. me. But <laughs> I've seen it a million times. Like you see these guys fling their mouth guard. I'm like, who wants that, man? Like I'd be getting the hell out of the way if that came flying at me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's really fair. I think that was uh, I could that see, tells you the level of entertainment that uh, Saturday Night offered when that's what stuck in your mind is like the mouth guard going in the crowd. I will say, though, there there is a weird uh, fervor that comes over people, myself included, in, when it comes to other sports, whether it's like a, if I like I'm having a Suns game and it's T-shirt time, like I'm up. I'm trying to get that T-shirt, you know, <laughs> yes. like if someone if you're at a hockey game and there's a puck that goes in the stands, like it's every man for himself, same in like a baseball game. So there is like a weird fervor. But it'd be like if they're, they're, instead of shooting T-shirts, they're shooting like, uh, you know, um, you Cups? know, Aiton's, you know, jockstrap. 
up yeah. into the crowd. Would yeah. you go for that? Yeah, they didn't dip the puck in spit before it went into the crowd, you know? <laughs> well, you said, you asked about DeAndre Ayton. No, I wouldn't go for DeAndre Ayton's jockstrap. If you revise the question to Devin Booker, we're going to have a conversation ah, about see. it. Like, <laughs> okay, so it depends on the fighter. So if it was like a, a more well known fighter, I'm, like I'm totally kidding. That's fine. Not... I know, I'm kidding, dude. <laughs> uh, I, I, that's a good point. I like yeah. that that randomly came to you in the middle of the Shogun conversation, too. Yeah, that was uh, that's been bothering me. I'm like, I always feel for the people that whoever that lands on, you know, like, ugh, gross. Well, I'm glad we could get that off your chest. Let you get that <laughs> off your chest. Uh, let's move on. Let, hit this That's last. What the man note. in the myth is all about Sean. We're just airing grievances at this point. Yes, it's a festivist for the rest of us. Um, <laughs> literally, no one, uh, except for my generation, your generation, understood that joke. Everyone right. younger just completely doesn't understand what festivist is. And now I'm dating myself. <laughs> True. Um, last thing on UFC Sao Paulo. Okay. Chuck, this one's been a long time time coming, but we might have finally hit the end of the road with Hen and Burrell in the UFC. Saturday's loss makes it 8 out of 10 now. Um, he's now missed weight as many times in his last 10 fights as he has wins. And this yes. one wasn't even ever close. He looked totally out of his depth there uh, against, I don't, I mean, I don't know, what would you call Douglas D'Andrade, a top 25 featherweight? Something like that? I mean, I mean, you could, right? Like, but that'd be a, you're, I mean, That's, it's subjective. You're being, yeah, you, you, well, he's not a top 15, I guess I should say. No. And he totally got dominated. By the end of the fight, Hen and Brow's main offense was really just shooting for desperation takedowns. It is, it is so puzzling, man. Like Hen and Brow, we used to think of this guy as one of the premier strikers in the sport. Now he's just getting so badly outclassed on his feet against a, a middling featherweight. Uh, at age 32, is this the last time we'll ever see him in the UFC? And how do you feel about that, I guess? It's funny because you're you're mentioning thirty for Charles Oliveira, right? And saying like that's fairly young. And then you look at a guy like Henry Brown, you say thirty two, and it seems very old. But it's yeah. only because what he's you know these last what five years have just been the steady spiral um, from this pound for pound space. And I I say that with with true respect for I really believed and forget about Dana White claiming he was the best pound for pound in the world, whatever, before his fight with Dillashaw. But I believed he was in the top five. I really did. I thought he was that good. Did you not? Like, I felt like in he was that pound good for pound? at one point. Yeah, like pound, pound for pound. pound. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He had, like, 33 fight unbeaten stretch that, against, like, very yeah. high-level competition. It's tough. It's tough. And, you know, we've seen spirals before, but I think this one goes down as one of the most uh, unpredictable spirals that we've seen where a guy just – it's like something happened in that translation between him and Dillashaw, and especially by the second fight. Um, it just it, he's just never looked correct after that man. He's just never looked he's never looked right. And uh, they've tried. You obviously the UFC has tried to give him fights where I think they're trying to kind of give him the bounce back. It's not like they're throwing him in, in there against monsters one after the, you know one after the next. He's just not able to clear those hurdles. And now he's lost five fights, and I would say four of those fights, and no offense to my, uh, you know, the guy who stood in for you, Brian Kelleher, but these aren't the world beaters, right, of the division. Yeah, these are, Brian these Kelleher, are the guys that, Andre Ewell, Luke Sanders, yeah. Douglas Silver, D'Andrade. These aren't guys that were meant to, you know, be in that top 10 space. These aren't guys who are world beaters or even, you know what I mean? They just aren't those guys, and he's lost all four of those fights. I, I don't know what you do with him at this point. I think that that it, it, his history now speaks for itself. I'm sure he could. He, I'm sure he could get a victory if he goes outside the UFC and you know he's fighting some I'm not, I'm regional not sure stuff or whatever. But I'm not I, sure I, of that at all. 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure of it. Okay, let's put it that way. I'm not sure he could do that, but that would be his best route to maybe finding a win again. But at this point, man, I have no interest in seeing him in the UFC. Not after that one. You mentioned that it's the the way his his career played out. It's it's very hard to draw a comparison or like a parallel to somebody else. I I've been thinking about this since Saturday, and I can only think of one person in the modern era who had a similar, just crazy steep decline, and that's Johnny Hendricks. Is yes. he, like Hennenborough feels to me like the lighter weight version of Johnny Hendricks now because they are really the only two people I can think of who had this exact same type of baffling career trajectory where one day he's a world beater and then literally the next day he's losing to people that shouldn't even be touching him. Um, yeah. Is his, is his legacy damaged at this point? Like, I'm curious, like, how will we remember Hennenborough? Because I think Johnny Hendricks' legacy is very much damaged. Johnny Hendricks became so much almost yeah. like a meme by the end of his run. But you look at the beginning of his run, dude legitimately beat GSP. Like he should have gotten the rub from that fight. And that's really one of the biggest robberies of all time in my mind. The fact that he didn't get that GSP win. He was such a murderer at that point. We don't think of Johnny Hendricks at all that way. We don't think of him as the guy who was starching John Fitch in five seconds or however long, that sort of thing. Yeah. Is Hennon Burrell sort of in that category now? Like, I don't I know so. how we're going to remember him. As, as as sad as that sounds, and I'm just being honest, I think that's really what what will be. I don't, I don't think people – the fact that he was he's on these cards in these kind of spots and, you know what I mean, like it already tells you he – whatever star power or whatever awe factor was there is no longer there, right? Like this is – it's already, that part's already kind of dissipated over time, but the fact that he's – it's just been – you know, carried out for so long now and he can't correct it. I, I do. I think it's going, he's going to go down like a Johnny Hendricks. You probably won't be talking about him and Burrell much, um, in five years, if at all, you know what I mean? And that's just, unless you're a diehard, like a person who really wants to go back and remember the context of the way things were, I don't think that he'll have a lasting legacy at this point. Just crazy, man. It really yeah. is just crazy. The BJ Penn one is kind of similar, but, BJ's decline initially was slower. It was like the Frankie Edgar series, right? It was a lot right? slower. Yeah, but it was like the Frank only in the Dillashaw came around, right, and then uh, kind of stole his mojo in terms of uh, Barrow. Frankie Edgar kind of did the same thing, but I felt like BJ Penn's – you didn't see the tailspin as fast. It was like he, he kind of um, – I know he beat the Matt Hughes, he beat Matt Hughes, and then there was a couple of fights where he, he looked competitive, and then he started to look bad, you know what I mean? So it's, also, it's uh, it, it was a little different. There is the weight issue, right? Because Hennon and Johnny both had the same exact issue, that they couldn't make weight, and it, they were destroying their bodies trying to make weight. And So it's just also like how much that affect everything. True. Um, also, it's weird to talk about, but USADA. Like USADA comes well, in, and suddenly these guys aren't as good. That right? is an so, elephant in the room. It really is. It does coincide, right? It coincides. Yeah. Um, especially <laughs> with what GS... We're now poor Johnny Hendricks. We're just <laughs> piling on him for no reason, but... With the GSP thing and the the yeah. Wada yacht, you wrote. I God, one of your leads that you wrote back on MMA <laughs> Fighting Days was like Vada Wada yada 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 or something like that. Yeah, and I will always remember that. That's just brilliant. Uh, that's all I have to say. I guess. <laughs> oh, that's so much fun back then. <laughs> oh man! All right, Chuck, we're running out of time. Uh, this today's show just flew by, but really quick before we get out of here, I want I do want to mention just one other small thing. This isn't anything crazy, but. It, how good is Nate Diaz? This guy, Nate Diaz, if you guys haven't seen this story, 
unknown killers 213 on instagram commented on a nate diaz instagram post saying nate i lost my rent money betting on you now i'm sleeping in my car so i can come up with my half and you had you we had mentioned this last week i think nate said don't trip i got your bitch ass well the (laughs) follow-up to this is nate actually got his bitch ass Wow. Like he actually paypaled this guy money to cover his debt and be able to pay uh, the rent. How like the guy it? put up, the guy put up. He didn't say the amount, but he put up okay. like all the conversation between Nate and uh, <laughs> him on Instagram. And Nate calls him a bitch ass again, and it's just great. It's like who Nate is so wonderful, man. I don't have any questions to ask you. It's just what great. a weird thing. It makes. I'm sure we're gonna see a ton of that now. Hey, I lost money. Let's see who else wants to pay up these bills. But what? A, what a dumb you. Dumbass is more like you don't bet your rent money. You know what I mean? <laughs> you don't do that. <laughs> Car payment—that's one thing. Well done, Nate Diaz. That's so yeah. cool. Also, this guy, the unknown killers two one three, put up a picture of him flashing the money while he's wearing like a clown mask with like blood oh, all God. over it. I don't know. The whole thing is weird. Uh, I'd love to find out that Nate, Nate just orchestrated great. this whole thing. <laughs> that would even be more brilliant, wouldn't it? Like that he put together this whole thing. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> I just love it. Our sport yeah. is so stupid. We, yeah. It really is. Well, that's, it, <laughs> as is, if all appearances are correct, I, I think that's pretty That's pretty. Pretty damn cool of a guy who had no obligation to do that whatsoever. Yeah. Very much so. Well, hey, man, that wraps up today's show. We uh, we are without a UFC this week and actually next week as well. So we actually have some really fun stuff planned uh, Saturday. Or not Saturday. I don't know why I said Saturday. But Wednesday, next show, we're going to be doing a mailbag. Uh, yeah. So we will be on Twitter getting your guys' questions. So start if you, if you hear this, if you're hearing this right now, send us some questions. Uh, we're going to try to do – last time we did a mailbag, it was really fun. So we're going to do another one. And then Monday of next week – uh, we have something tentatively planned, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't want to tease it yet. I'll tease it on Wednesday if we get it figured <laughs> out. But I think it should be good. And then next week, uh, we're not Wednesday's show has moved to Friday, but we're going to be doing our all-decade teams. So we're going to be doing fighter of the decade, lightweight of the decade, et cetera, et cetera, fight of the decade, knockout, et cetera. Uh, and so that'll be a ton of fun. I love doing that type of stuff. So we don't have UFC for the next couple weeks, Chuck, but we got a lot of stuff going on. Oh, yeah. I love when we get these little breaks because then uh, the mailbags are always fun. And, uh, you know, I like to I like to play a field a little bit. So this will be a fun couple of weeks coming up. Yeah, we get a little break to reset before UFC 245 and all the big stuff coming. In the meantime, guys, this has been another episode of The Man and the Myth. We appreciate you guys so much for listening to us. Please go on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. We will read some of the best uh, reviews on this show as they continue to come in. My name is Sean O'Shaughty. That man is Chuck Minnell. I hope you guys enjoy your week. We will talk to you on Wednesday. Start sending in those mailbag questions. Peace. Peace.